Welcome everyone, live from Academy of Mary Immaculate in Melbourne, Australia, you're listening to Be Like Her Live on Academy Live. My name is Winnie and my co-stars today are Kayla, Olivia and Lucy and our special guest is Katie Robinson. Hi Katie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Who or what inspired you to become a lawyer? That's a really good question because I actually didn't ever think I'd be a lawyer. There's no lawyers in my family um, and I sort of always had this idea of law in my head as this fairly dry job that you do to kind of help big organisations make more money and that just never appealed to me because I've always been interested in social justice. And so when I finished high school, um, I had the marks to do law but I just wasn't interested. I wanted to do an arts degree because I absolutely loved history and politics. And so I was doing an arts degree and while I was doing my arts degree I wanted to get some volunteer experience and there was a volunteer role going at my local community legal centre and I was working on reception there and it was the first time in my life I really sort of thought, oh, maybe you can use the law to do good and to do socially progressive work. I grew up, I was always very passionate and interested in social justice issues, um, particularly in relation to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander justice. And working at that community legal centre, I, I really saw lawyers doing good work in that space. So from there, I decided to um, change my degree and do an arts law degree. Um, and so that's essentially how I came to be a lawyer. Uh, so what led you to start the Stateless Children Australia Network? Yeah, okay. So, uh, well, it's a good question as well. So I've spent I spent about 10 years working as a lawyer um, in lots of different social justice spaces. I knew I wanted to use the law to do good and to help people. So I... Um, I worked at lots of different organisations. Um, I went and worked at Aboriginal Legal Aid when I was a baby lawyer um, and worked in, lived, we lived in Alice Springs, my partner and I, my husband and I, and we, I worked out bush. So I had a job where for Aboriginal Legal Aid. So I travel out to remote Aboriginal communities and do a lot of work, particularly with Aboriginal women. And then I worked overseas in Cambodia at the um, international court there um, representing victims of war crimes. And then I moved back to Australia and I went back to my old law firm where I'd started, Morris Blackburn. They're one of the leading social justice law firms in Australia. And uh, they offered me a job doing their social justice work. And what that meant essentially was having a think about areas of injustice that, um, in Australia and thinking about ways in which we could use the law to um, challenge those injustices and improve the law um, for everybody. And I moved back to Australia in 2013 from living overseas and it was just after a federal election where um, the government that had been elected had been elected on a platform of a very tough immigration policy. Um, you may have heard of Stop the Boats. Uh, and the Australian government had reopened um, regional processing centres, so Nauru and Manus Island, where they were sending anyone who arrived in Australia by boat um, seeking asylum. And my colleagues and I felt like this was deeply wrong. It didn't seem right that we were sending anyone to these um, remote detention centres, but particularly for me, um, I saw a lot of pregnant women and women with newborn babies being sent to um, these places that had very harsh conditions. Now, I appreciate this is a bit of a tangent, but in the course of um, that work, I started a proceeding with some um, colleagues challenging the idea that the Australian government had the power to remove babies born on Australian soil to Nauru. 
and we just said that, that fundamentally we thought that was wrong but we also thought that was um, uh, not legal. And in the course of that work, um, the first child I met and acted for was a little Rohingya baby. So he'd come, his parents had come from Myanmar. He um, uh, was born early, um, so had to spend the first few days of his life in hospital um, and his parents were told that as soon as he was discharged they were all going to be sent to Nauru and that's the point at which we got involved and lodged a court action to try and stop that happening. Now, being from Myanmar, um, being Rohingya, he is stateless. That means that the um, government of Myanmar doesn't recognise the Rohingya people as belonging. In fact, no country in the world recognises them as belonging and therefore they are stateless. So that was the first time I kind of really came across this issue of statelessness and from there I realised that there's actually a lot of stateless children in Australia that have an entitlement to apply for Australian citizenship but they don't know about it. And then when they find out about it, they don't have anyone to help them go through that process. So the Stateless Children Australia Network was set up by myself and a colleague of mine to essentially raise awareness with stateless communities about this entitlement and link them to lawyers that can help them to go through that process. How do you raise awareness? With the stateless communities? Yeah, so we do a lot of outreach work, which means we go out to communities and um, meet with um, stateless communities and talk to them. And we talk to them. I'm very passionate about um, improving access to justice. So we think about ways in which we can talk to them um, in an accessible way that makes sense to them. So um, often going to the community areas makes it easier for people, particularly if they have little children. It can be tricky to get into the city. Um, we use interpreters um, and we we talk to people um, in a way that is culturally sensitive as well. That's one way we improve awareness. Another way we improve awareness is working with lawyers that are around Australia because um, a lot of lawyers don't, there's not a lot of awareness of statelessness in Australia generally um, and working with lawyers to help them better identify um, client child clients that might have an entitlement to citizenship and then refer them through to to, uh, to the stateless legal clinic that I set up or to other lawyers that might be able to assist. Mm. Um, how does the organisation services help people and how does having a network of legal, legal practitioners help achieve the goals of the Stateless Children uh, Australia Network? Okay, so um, it helps people by firstly raising awareness about mm. this entitlement where they may not um, otherwise have that awareness and then it helps them to um, connect with a lawyer um, or a legal service that can help them go through that process. So the application for citizenship um, is quite difficult mm. um, for people to navigate. I think the form's about 28 pages long and there's over 50 sections. Oh, my God. And it's only in English. Oh. So it's interesting, like I um, started a legal service at Melbourne Law School through the Peter McMullen Centre on Statelessness and we get law students to help children fill in these forms. But even law students get, find the form very confusing and yeah. it, it's very um, hard to navigate. So that's how we help people. We help them go through that process. Um, and then in terms of, what was the second question, sorry? Um, how, does the, how does having a network of legal practitioners help achieve the goals of the Stateless Children Australia Network? In a couple of ways. Um, firstly, it increases awareness around mm. this entitlement and therefore connects people to lawyers so that mm. they have that ability to realise citizenship. And once you become a citizen, you're therefore no longer stateless, which is yep. um, amazing for the families we work for because um, in every case it's often the first time that anyone in their family has um, been recognised as belonging to a country for generations. Mm. So it's very significant for both the child but also for the parents. 
Um, and I think secondly, it, um, it's helping us identify how many stateless people there are in Australia because we don't actually know at the moment how many stateless yeah. people there are in Australia. The Australian government doesn't, um, hasn't traditionally counted stateless people. Um, and as you can appreciate, and if you think about it, it's really hard to improve protections for people if you don't know who or where they are. So the other thing we're trying to do through this network, but more specifically through the Peter McMullen Centre on Statelessness, where I also work, is map and, and mm. identify and work out how many stateless people are there in Australia, what do they need, what do they want, and how can we support them um, to achieve that. Yeah. What does not being stateless mean and why is it so important? So to not be stateless means that you have nationality um, and it can sound really abstract. It's a really good question because I talk to friends and colleagues all the time, you know, lawyers with years of experience and one of them said to me recently, oh, it must be really hard to be stateless because I guess you can't get a passport and travel and go overseas. And, yes, that's one component to it. But I think also um, it's actually fundamental to every aspect of people's lives. So if you think about it, nationality is the building block upon which all of our other rights and entitlements stem from. So without nationality, you don't have access to all of the things you take for granted. So you don't have national, you don't have access to basic um, rights and entitlements such as access to healthcare, access to education. Um, stateless people, particularly children, are often subject to discrimination um, and exploitation. So um, to not be stateless, to have citizenship means, particularly for the kids I work for, they have access to a lot of the rights and entitlements we take for granted, particularly education. But I think more significantly for them, they have the ability to build a future in Australia and to plan and dream and be part of the community. Um, and that's just, you cannot, um, you cannot overestimate the significance of that. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Be Like Her Live on Academy Live, live from Academy of Mary Immaculate in Melbourne, Australia. My name is Winnie and my co-hosts today are Kayla, Olivia and Lucy and our special guest is Katie Robinson. Um, hi, so I'm Kayla um, and I was wondering where do most of these stateless children come from, like to Australia? Yeah, so that most of the stateless children I work with um, in the clinic are Rohingya, so they come from Myanmar. And I think if anyone's been following the news in the last few years, you'd, you'd be alive to the um, difficult situation that's been unfolding there, particularly for the Rohingya community. Many have had to flee. Um, many have been forced north to Bangladesh, but unfortunately the, the Bangladeshi government doesn't recognise them either. And so many have been forced to flee and seek asylum around the world. We also act for a number of Palestinian children um, as well. So they're the main groups we work for um, and work with, but globally um, there are lots of other populations of stateless people. Uh, what support do you get from the government or the community? Um, we don't get any support from the government. So there's no government funding specifically to do this work. Um, and so, and in fact, when we're helping um, people go through the application process, we're applying to the government. So in a legal sense, the government are on the other side of the table with this. Um, that being said, I think it's fair to say that there is a general lack of awareness about statelessness in Australia, including by government. So part of what we're trying to do is work with government and decision makers to help them understand what statelessness is um, and help improve um, the systems and processes um, through which they're making decisions. Um, in terms of the community, I work really closely um, 
with the community sector, in particular the Refugee Advice Casework Service, which is an incredible community legal organisation based in Sydney, and they service refugees and asylum seekers nationally. Um, and they um, work particularly with stateless children and stateless people, and that's who we partner with for the clinic. But there are lots of other organisation, legal organisations that are in contact with stateless people as well. Um, and so we we'll partner we partner with other organisations, and they refer matters through to us. Have you faced any challenges on your journey in the legal field? Oh, absolutely. I think everybody faces challenges in life, and that's that's part of it. And I think talking about it and being honest about it is also really important. Um, law is a hard profession. It's a hard profession. Um, it's very demanding. Um, you work long hours. It can be very stressful, and particularly the areas in which I've worked. Um, I've done a lot of urgent litigation for critically unwell children, um, trying to get them back from Nauru to Australia, um, highly traumatised people um, held in immigration detention centres, um, victims of war crimes. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's challenging and I think um, learning how to uh, look after yourself is really important because if you're not looking after yourself, you can't support your clients adequately. So I think... Um, I think there's always challenges in any job, um, but it's a, it's also been an incredibly um, fulfilling, um, interesting and inspiring career as well. Mm. Law is typically a male-dominated job. Um, what is your experience as a woman in law? Again, it's tough. It still is a very male-dominated job and I think there is, I mean, it's interesting actually. I mean, women have been dominating graduate you know, um, entry into law degrees for quite a number of years now. Um, they've been dominating graduate entry jobs, but it's not translating at the top mm. in terms of who's in, in the senior positions and who's in, uh, you know, senior management roles. Um, I do find it still a pretty inherently sexist profession, yeah. and I know a lot of my female colleagues do. Um, and I think that's an ongoing challenge that we're working to change. Um, but it, it's it's tough and it, it takes time um, and I think it's something to be mindful of and alive to. Um, but I'm optimistic that things are slowly changing. Yeah. Um, what qualities or characteristics do you think you need in order to succeed in the law field? I think you need to be disciplined um, in terms of, study I think you know you need to you need to work hard um, but I think more importantly than that I mean I think particularly to change your question slightly to work in the type of area I work in in law um, I think you need to be compassionate and you need to have empathy and you need to be human and that's going to sound a little bit strange to you guys I think but one of the things I talk about a lot with my law students is this idea of being a human lawyer so when you go through your law degree you're taught around um, this idea of um, the reasonable person and this idea of, who, you know, what it means to be a reasonable person, to be objective um, and impartial. And I think that they're important values, but I also think that when you're working with people, particularly that are having a difficult time, it's important to be warm and human and um, uh, to develop that trust and rapport with your clients so that they feel like they, they can trust you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's the most important quality. Yeah. Uh, so... What plans does your centre have for the future? Good question. So the Stateless Legal Clinic that I started in 2021 with in partnership with RACS, the Refugee Advice Casework Service, um, we're building and growing, which is really exciting. So um, we've to date only been assisting stateless children, but we're now going to be assisting stateless adults as well. And we're also growing in terms of um, 
the size and scope of what we're doing. And I think more broadly um, what we, we talked about earlier, the, the main aim is to sort of um, improve awareness around this issue and improve access to justice for stateless people. But finally, on a bigger picture level, uh, we're also engaging with the federal government at the moment around these issues because there's some big areas of reform we think need to be made in order to better protect stateless people in Australia. Mm. Um, what's this, what success stories have you had in the area of stateless? Statelessness? Statelessness? Yeah, I think just, um, I mean, the first child I talked to you about that um, we acted for back in 2013, the little baby that was in hospital and was going to be taken to Nauru, um, we managed to keep that family in Australia and that child is now an Australian citizen and going mm. to school. And I think all of the children I've worked with over the years um, that we've been able to successfully obtain citizenship for and keep them in Australia, um, there's no more success for me in my career and in life more broadly than seeing children mm. flourish and grow and become vibrant, um, welcomed and active members of the Australian community. Um, what changes have you witnessed in your area of work and what changes would you like to see? Changes? Wow, that's interesting. Do you mean in the legal profession broadly or? Um, yeah. Yeah, sure. okay. I mean, I think, like I said before, it is changing. I think not fast enough for my liking, but that's why we're radical women and we keep pushing. Yeah. I think that there's an increased awareness around the need to be respectful with the communities with which you work. And I think I talk a lot about being led by lived experience and that means to be mindful of and to support um, people that, that experience the issue that you're fighting for. So that might be um, Aboriginal justice, it might be statelessness. And so in my case, um, it means um, I'm very lucky to have an incredible stateless man, Fadi Shaluhi, who lives in Australia, that partners with me in the clinic. He's an ambassador. And it means I work closely with him when I'm developing and designing and expanding the clinic to seek his input around how he, think it, he thinks it should be done. But the reason that's changing is I think for many years um, there was this idea in law, particularly advocacy related to law, that the best person place to speak on an issue was the, the lawyer. So the lawyer comes out the front of the court in a big social justice matter and makes, you know, um, talks to the media. Now, and I'm very much of the view that you've always got to think about who's best place to speak. And in my opinion, it's usually your client. And so I think my role as a lawyer is to support and encourage and empower my client to be the one that's out there speaking on the issue mm. rather than uh, another white lawyer speaking on their behalf. Uh, so do you have any advice for people hoping to um, follow in your footsteps? Yeah, just give it a go. I think that I've always just sort of gone for it and um, been known what I'm passionate about and given it and been at work to sort of um, put myself in the position where I'm able to do the work I want to do. So I just I think there's lots of reasons to feel intimidated in the legal profession. We talked about before it's a very male-dominated profession still. Um, it's a very hierarchical profession, but I think it's an incredible profession if you want to make a difference and you have um, the tenacity to get in there and um, and make it happen. Do you think that being a woman has helped you in your empathy and career in law? I don't, in some ways, probably yes. Um, I mean, I think 
Not necessarily in terms of career because I think it's a hard, you know, I think there are still gendered um, issues in the law and I think, you know, even in ways in which I've had, I've had two children so I've stepped in and out of the profession a couple of times um, and that can, you know, that does impact the trajectory in terms of how quickly you are moving up the ranks, so to speak. But I think, um, I don't know if it's being a woman, but I think it's being, having the values I have and having been raised with the values I have in terms of how I approach um, the work I do and how I interact with the people I work with. I think, again, coming back to that um, idea of empathy and being human and warm with people um, and my view is really the role of lawyers should be um, empowering people to empower themselves. So we should be working with them to make them feel equipped and supported um, with the knowledge that they can feel empowered and, and fight their own battles with support and, and make the choices that they want to make in their lives. So I think um, probably yes is the answer. What message do you have for young women considering their future paths in life? Just the sky's the limit. Give it a go. Women can do anything and everything and there's never been a better time, I think, to be a young woman because the opportunities we have are immense. The barriers we face are also immense. So I think also we need to be mindful of the fact that we are standing on the shoulders of many incredible women that have come before us and I think we shouldn't take any of the rights we have for granted. It's not that long ago that women couldn't vote. Um, or have control over their bodies or have control over the, the ability to work um, or who they who they wanted to marry. So I think that um, we need to be really mindful of the rights um, that we have thanks to the tenacious fight of many women that have come before us. But I also think we need to, like, honour those women by grabbing every opportunity we want and going for it. That's all we have time for today. Thank you to our guest, Katie. It's been a great pleasure talking to you today. Live from Academy of Mary Immaculate in Melbourne, Australia, you've been listening to Be Like Her Live on Academy Live. My name is Winnie and my co-hosts today were Kayla, Olivia and Lucy. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you have found the information today useful. Until next time, have a great day. Music.